When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the Explaining History podcast, and the thing we're going to talk about today kind of continues on the thing we've covered recently in Maoist China and Nazi Germany, the practice of kind of asocial cleansing in the Soviet Union, um, St- the Stalinist removal of the social riffraff, the kinds of uh, unproductive citizens and those who were seemed to have been corrupted by uh, criminality and uh, in sort of classic, classic kind of Marxist-Leninist uh, conceptions had, were irretrievably uh, the product of the previous era of, the, of the, the bourgeois world. So today we're reading from Sheila Fitzpatrick's Every, Everyday Stalinism. It's the text we normally tend to look at. And we're looking at uh, the uh, social structure of Soviet society under Stalin. Um, and we're looking at the chapter Insulted and Injured. It's a really, really great um, dive into um, uh, uh, social repression uh, under Stalin. Patrick writes... The Soviet regime, it seems, felt entitled to pick segments of the population up and move them at will, just as serf owners had been able to do with their serfs under the old regime. Deportations are not the only evidence for this. In addition, the regime was furtively and somewhat tentatively practising a kind of social cleansing involving the removal of marginal urban residents, degenerates, whose presence was regarded as corrupting and disruptive, and their forcible relocation in labour camps or provincial exile. The general term for such marginals was socially alien and socially dangerous elements, and the process of removing them from society started at the end of the 1920s and reached its peak during the Great Purges. So, again, these were um, petty thieves, pickpockets, prostitutes alcoholics, drug addicts, um, the kind of social um, uh, f- social kind of classes uh, and the sort of underclasses who had no place in the process of building socialism. 
there is there are accounts of the digging of the White Sea Canal, um, the the likes of Maxim Gorky and and other um, Soviet writers. They did uh, a very good job of convincing themselves of the virtues of uh, mass prisoner labour on the canal. Um, they ignored the fifteen to 20,000 deaths from overwork and malaria uh, and instead picked out uh, little vignettes, stories where they uh, interviewed uh, prisoners who were now miraculously reformed, who um, were able to see the error of their criminal lives and their antisocial lives and were able to uh, use their own physical labour to work for the collective. Um, it's questionable whether any of these stories were, were genuine um, or whether there were uh, they were outright fabrications or they were the result of coercion uh, but unfortunately for all the prisoners involved even those who believed they were doing something good uh, the canal itself was not deep enough for ships to sail down so it was a complete waste of time um, but this many of the prisoners themselves were the product of this um, aspect of uh, Stalinism the need to remove from towns and cities people who did not fit the model of the new Soviet man and woman. Because the conception of, of what the, the new Soviet man and woman was, was essentially this. The proletarian who has become civilised. The member of the working classes who has become uh, educated, um, urbanised, who um, wears um, smart or as smart clothes as can be purchased, whose uh, apartment is clean and tidy, who um, is either moderate in their drinking or abstains completely, who has uh, stable social relationships, um, who has good and productive friends, who does not hit their wife um, or uh, engage in uh, bad language. Um, one of the um, aspects of uh, Stalinist, uh, the Stalinist cultural revolution was an idea called kulturnost or culturedness. Uh, the idea that there are certain ways in which the, the new Soviet citizen was expected to behave and these um, manners and behaviours were often enforced in the workplace where workplace committees um, of uh, fellow workers would get together and cast judgment uh, upon those considered to be deviant in some way, those who um, were guilty of repeated drunkenness um, or absenteeism or these um, traits that seem to kind of dog uh, Russian uh, or Soviet industry. Um, and the reason why they were considered to be, um, you know, quite significant offences was not because of necessarily um, the uh, aesthetic um, or the um, moral failings of an individual, but because when they engaged in private vices such as drinking, swearing and general loutishness, it had public consequences, collective consequences. It meant that 
um, working for, towards socialism um, became uh, in that part of the uh, process derailed. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, Prostitutes were one category of victim. From the summer of 1929, the authorities had the legal right to pick up prostitutes or women on the borders of prostitution in barracks, restaurants, railway stations and overnight lodgings and expel them from the city. Beggars and all kinds of wanderers such as tinkers and travelling tailors were liable to similar treatment. Beggars were easily construed by the authority, authorities as church agitators. Itinerant tinkers and tailors as spreaders of counter-revolutionary propaganda. Now, it seems almost inconceivable that the, uh, the small trader, the tinker, the cobbler, the uh, travelling tailor um, was in any way likely to spread counter-revolutionary propaganda. But what it is likely that many of them had once been were uh, members of the bourgeoisie um, who had been reduced to poverty. There were perhaps even members of the former nobility who had been reduced to abject poverty uh, and who were able perhaps to speak fondly of pre-revolutionary times. Whatever the case, they were deemed suspicious. And then one ideological reason for viewing them as suspicious is that they were viewed as small traders or little capitalists. Uh, people tried to accumulate capital. Um, at a certain point, somebody who's self-employed ceases to be a capitalist and simply is somebody struggling for survival. Their intent is not necessarily to um, uh, amass um, profits and reinvest them to become uh, ever wealthier, but simply to eat. Um, and there here is a kind of like a, a fundamental uh, misunderstanding, and it's a willful, deliberate misunderstanding. Because the real intention wasn't to try to weed out uh, members of the capitalist classes. I don't think even Stalin was naive enough to assume that the regime was threatened by beggars. But it was to try to gentrify, in a Soviet way, towns and cities. Many of the people here uh, were not immediately shipped off to the gulags. They were simply dumped outside the towns and cities to, to kind of vanish. To um, Expulsion was also helped by the fact that in 1933 the regime issues passports, um, particularly in, well, beginning in Moscow and Leningrad. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, in Leningrad, a Russian historian of prostitution reports, a wave of repression hit the city as the parasitical element was rounded up and the drive against prostitution continued in high gear for the next two years with almost 18,000 women being detained in Leningrad in 1934-35. Most of these were sent to labour colonies and camps in the Leningrad province. In the summer of 1933, socially degenerate elements, mainly habitual criminals, were rounded up in Moscow and Leningrad. Because of their corrupting influence on those around them, they were sent to labour camps rather than be allowed to live in semi-liberty as deportees. So again, this is uh, this is interesting. Um, the by the mid nineteen thirties, by thirty four, thirty five, the um, pace and the scope of repression against uh, the criminal classes seems to uh, increase, uh, and um, the 
does the need to send them to labour colonies and to camps seems to increase as well. And this is perhaps because by mid-1934 to 35, um, the camp system is a vast sponge for human labour. It needs to suck in vast quantities of human labour in order to keep functioning. So new classes of people need to be criminalised and punished in different ways. Uh, prostitutes need now to be sent to the camps in order to provide the system with uh, a, a huge flow of free labour. Um, long, long ago, I did a podcast about the development of the, uh, the camps and looked at uh, the character Natali Frankel, who was a former camp prisoner who essentially um, went to uh, the camp authorities in the Solovki Islands where he was um, an inmate and said, here's how you turn the camps from being um, a, a burden on the state to being um, uh, an amazing asset. And he was, so the story goes, taken to see Stalin uh, to uh, present his ideas. Um, one of his ideas, is, in essence, was that the, the biggest asset that the camp had was free. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Labor, and it should capitalize on this as much as was possible. So uh, later down the line, finding easily otherable uh, individuals, prostitutes being a particularly uh, useful target uh, to um, who, who were considered deemed socially unacceptable, um, uh, but basically fit and healthy labour uh, to send to the camps was uh, made a kind of a significant sense, um, and the idea that their corrupting influence um, once again. The idea that kind of petty criminals were some kind of part of this, the, the, the anxieties about fifth colonists, about counter-revolutionary classes in the heart of the revolution. This was uh, kind of, uh, of a piece with um, sort of Stalinist thinking uh, at the time. Um, about 5,000 gypsies without fixed residence were picked up in uh, the Moscow region and sent to the Siberian city of Tomsk along with 338 horses and two cows. Um, and they, the reason why the horses and cows were sent with them is because they were sent to labour settlements, not so much 
um, to um, the gulags, but to sort of slightly less prison-like circumstances, but uh, communities uh, where um, the, uh, uh, the 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 kind of the trappings of uh, community life were meant to continue, but it was really uh, enforced in a kind of an authoritarian way, and, and work was not an option. Work was a um, uh, labour was compulsory. Um, the attitude that the state had towards itinerant, mobile or nomadic people is really, really telling. Stalin was obsessed, for example, by the migratory um, Kazakh peoples who would cross over the border from the Soviet Union into China, as they'd done for thousands of years. And uh, Stalin believed that this was evidence that um, China was falling into the Japanese sphere of influence. So the Kazakhs were therefore suspect. The, the Kazakhs must somehow be pawns of the, the Japanese if they're coming back and forth. There was a huge amount of suspicion about people who didn't stay in one place and didn't conform to the, uh, the regular kind of spatial ideas about Stalinism. Um, so that's why... Um, moving uh, gypsies out of the Moscow region would certainly have been um, considered to be a positive move for the regime. Um, the uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, this gypsy operation could be regarded as an early ethnic deportation. But it seems more likely that the authorities conceptualised it differently. The regime made every effort to settle backward nomadic peoples, including gypsies, and the gypsies' reputation for stealing and sharp practice no doubt inclined local officials to see them as degenerate troublemakers. In 1937-38, during the Great Purges, another contingent of gypsies was picked up and sent east. All the time the regime looks at its way of looking at um, non-Russian minorities is often that they are um, troublemakers, that they are um, subversive in some way, there's something ethnically and culturally um, dubious about them, and they, they need to be either punished or quarantined or educated. Um, in a little while, I'm going to look at Timothy Snyder's um, work on the treatment of the Poles during the Great Terror, and per, cap um, uh, per head of population, during the terror, uh, the Poles were far more likely to be murdered than uh, Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Belarusians, or, or, or any other um, Soviet nationality. Uh, so Poles living within the Soviet Union, uh, that, that is. Um, during the decade, um, one of the, sort of the most significant events was uh, a massive operation um, to round up social marginals during the purges, um, that also it, it results in mass executions as well as deportations. Um, there's still a little. Um, it's, there's still less known about this operation than many of the others, um, but it indicates that the the Soviet regime had come closer to Nazi thinking about social cleansing than uh, previously uh, realised. Of course, the Soviet regime didn't think in racial terms, it thought in social terms. 
but its um, solutions were uh, not dissimilar. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, On the 2nd of July, 1937, a secret order from the Politburo called for the rounding up of habitual criminals, troublemakers, and persons who had illegally returned from exile, some of whom were to be executed immediately without trial, others sent to the Gulag. Each region of the Soviet Union was given a quota. For the Soviet Union as a whole, the target figure for executions was 70,000, including 10,000 socially dangerous elements already in the Gulag. And for dispatch to the Gulag, almost 200,000. Of course, there is this appetite for labour once more. Now, interesting, it's worth noting the date. July the 2nd, 1937, that's going to be the height of the terror. And they, the quota system was used to round up different kinds of prisoners and different kinds of victims as well. Um, political um, uh, uh, victims as well as uh, social ones. The main thrust of this order, writes Sheila Fitzpatrick, um, was uh, against Kulak deportees who'd escaped from exile. It will be remembered that there were around 400,000 of these, according to NKVD figures, who, uh, who were said to be uh, the chief instigators of all kinds of anti-Soviet and diversionist crimes in the industry, the railroads, state farms and collective farms. So when we've looked in the past at um, the anti-Kulak operations, um, the uh, purging of Kulaks uh, during, uh, before, during and after the Great Famine and the vast flow of Kulak labourers and labour into the camps, some of the Kulaks avoided the camps and were sent to labour colonies or were simply um, deported. And it was these individuals that Stalin thought, well, they're still the troublemakers and they've now fallen into this class of dangerous criminal um, pickpocket banditry um, type characters. And he uh, also believed that they were guilty of um, disseminating counter-revolutionary thoughts uh, and ideas. Um, there, uh, the uh, former Kulaks had left the land, there was nothing for them there other than persecution um, and uh, hunger, uh, and they had been, in many cases, chased out of their villages by poorer peasants whipped up by the party, and so that they would congregate on the outskirts of big cities in uh, the uh, new housing developments that were gradually emerging um, and were seen as the sort of dangerous riffraff hovering around the edges of, of society. Yezhov, um, the NKVD chief, identified that there were three major groups in addition to these Kulak exiles. He said the first were church people and sectarians who had been repressed in the past so um, religious um, church figures whose uh, churches have been crushed and closed, who have been thrown out of their uh, orders, uh, and but still kind of really won't quite give up Russian Orthodoxy or, or, or any of the other diverse religions, Judaism, Islam, um, across the, um, the Russian Empire. Mainly it was Orthodoxy that uh, they were waging their, their war on. This was um, probably the largest category of victims, 
um, which was uh, um, taken from the countryside. The second group were counter-revolutionaries. Now, this term, uh, in the eyes of Yezhov, could mean all sorts of things. Counter-revolutionaries were persons um, who were participants in armed risings against Soviet power or former members of anti-Bolshevik political parties. Um, and again, that could mean uh, people who were actively involved in anti-Bolshevik activities, but a huge number of people who weren't. The third group were habitual criminals. Repeat offenders who were part of the professional criminal world. Horse thieves, cattle rustlers, robbers and thieves, etc. The results of this operation can be seen, it can, uh, be seen in the dramatic rise in the number of gulag convicts classed as socially harmful and socially dangerous in the following year and a half. So at that point, there were already 100,000 prisoners in that category at the beginning of 1937. Two years later, the number had risen to almost 300,000, which constituted almost a quarter of Gulag inhabitants. Of course, the majority of Gulag inhabitants were already um, those who were accused of being members of the Gulag class. OK, so we're going to finish there. Um, and uh, we've had a kind of a, a break in the last few weeks from, from the podcast due to uh, being away and uh, enjoying the last of the, the, the long summer and uh, kind of various um, little forays into political activism, which I'll hopefully I'll tell you a little bit about in the coming few days, given the, uh, the climate of things here in Great Britain. Uh, wherever you're listening to... Uh, from uh, in in the world, um, uh, we should hopefully be able to kind of explain to you a little better uh, about what's happening here in the UK at the moment in the next uh, few episodes. But anyway, we're back. Uh, September has begun. It's the new school year, and um, we're putting about some very student-friendly stuff coming pretty soon. But wherever you are, uh, stay safe, enjoy, have a good one, and I hope this podcast has been useful for you. And if you can, possibly pop by the Patreon page and uh, donate a little bit to keep the podcast running, that would be great. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye.